We pray in his name. Amen. By the way, to add to your list of graduates, our daughter-in-law, Faith, graduated last week with her master's degree in theological studies from Erskine Theological Seminary. Amazing. So if you wonder how Joe has been able to achieve what he has in life, Joe has faith. And I don't know how she's done it either. She has to take care of Joe. She's raising those boys. As best I can tell, she hasn't slept at all in about four years. But uh, so very proud of our family, as you can tell. And now I ask you to give your attention to God's word. As we look at Hebrews chapter 1, primarily verse 3, we'll read verses 1 through 4, but we'll be focusing on verse 3. As we continue along in our series entitled, We Sing to Jesus. Now, admittedly, as I've told you, I've been taking some liberties in interpretation in that each of the passages that we have been dealing with are deemed by some or by many, depending on the specific passage, deemed by many to be songs or the lyrics to songs that were offered by the early church in worship to the Lord. Now, there's not complete agreement on that. But the passages that we're talking about lend themselves because of the rhythmic quality of the wording in the original Greek or other indicators of poetry, for example. It just seems to be that these were uh, words that were or lent themselves easily to being put to music, even though they may not come across so readily in English to make us think that. But I've been using them, nevertheless, to give us a sense of what our worship ought to be, to recognize that we worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't merely respect him as we might revere others, having, example, great respect for historical figures who continue to have a profound effect on us. Jesus is so much more than that. We worship him. We sing to him. And so that helps us. So let's look. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. We'll ask the Lord to bless this reading of his word for the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Amen. And so we think about particular days that we observe. Now, if I give you some dates, you can probably tell me what we celebrate on those days. Uh, Let me just practice a little bit with you. Uh, January the 1st is? December 25th is? Good. So all kinds of days like that, right? We recognize a few. July the 4th. We've got Memorial Day coming up next week. Are you aware of other days that have been set aside for? For special observance. 
Do you realize that there is a National House Plant Appreciation Day? How about Public Sleeping Day? I'm going to find out where, when that one is. I want to observe that one. There's even a National Peanut Butter and Jelly Day. I'm all for that, just like I am National Ice Cream Day. Did you know there's a National Bubba Day? By the way, there's also a National Take Your House Plant for a Walk Day. You can't make this stuff up. There's also a Plan Your Epitaph Day. I'll get back to you again on when that one is. I know you're excited to work on that project. There's all kinds of days that we observe. A lot of them make sense. A lot of them don't. Just somebody decided to do something. But it's interesting. I wonder how many of us know what this past Thursday was. Thank you very much, sir. Somebody was at Bible study on Thursday morning. (laughs) Ascension Day. That's exactly right. Forty days after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He ascended in the glory. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all start following a liturgical calendar and order our lives around that. But it does bring to our attention the fact that oftentimes in preaching and in our Christian lives, we neglect important parts of our Christianity. And the ascension of the Lord Jesus is not given a lot of time in preaching and teaching. And along with the neglect of the ascension of the Lord Jesus is the enthronement of the Lord Jesus, his being seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, we may profess those things when we use the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, or we may think about them occasionally. But in large part, in large measure, they are neglected in preaching. And when we look at Hebrews chapter 1, particularly verse 3, we come to an understanding of the importance of this matter because the writer right here at the very beginning of this very important book brings to our attention front and center this notion of Christ's enthronement. Now, as he begins, he, of course, talks about how that long ago and in past times the Lord spoke in various and sundry ways, as we learned that in the King James growing up. The Lord revealed himself through the prophets in in different kinds of ways. But the emphasis now is on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our ultimate prophet, who is the ultimate revelation of God himself. We don't need those other special kinds of revelations and those various ways of God's revealing himself. We have Jesus. We have the superior revelation of the Lord God Almighty in him. And he's the one who has been appointed heir of all things, the one who receives all things because of his atoning work on the cross. Already his by right, being second person of the Trinity, having had the glory of God through all eternity past, but he especially now that he has become one of us and has completed the work and the task given him by the Father, all the more has glory and is the heir of all things. And we are co-heirs with him. It's astounding to think of that, to think of what the Lord Jesus has achieved and earned by his own life and works. And by his grace, we are counted co-heirs with him. And so we rejoice and we sing to him. And verse 3 beautifully articulates this wonderful person that is the Lord Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God 
In fact, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact image of God. I have emphasized the definite articles there because they're present in the original. And to make it clear that Jesus is unique. As we often say, he is not merely a way. He is the way. He is not merely a truth. He is the truth. He's not merely a life. He is the life. The definite article is important. And we want to emphasize it. And we know that there were times in the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus that, as it were, the, the veil was somewhat lifted, that the curtain was parted so that we could see what otherwise would have been invisible to us. When for just moments, for just an inkling of time, the true identity of the Lord Jesus shone forth. One of those occasions was on the Mount of Transfiguration when James, Peter, and John were there with the Lord in this amazing moment when suddenly, as he was praying in Luke 9:29, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. We read that and we wonder, what exactly did he look like? And of course, language is limited in its ability to communicate. But in that moment, and only for a moment, they saw Jesus as he really is. As uh, is also described, his garments so white as no launderer on earth could have whitened them. No amount of Clorox could have done it. The glory of God was radiating forth, emanating from him. We also see, of course, in the Revelation, in chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, when John, who was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, as I've heard some of you say, you've actually been to that place. Not exiled there, but you visited. And as he is there, he receives this glorious revelation. Remember, the word revelation means the veil is lifted or parted, again, so that you can see what otherwise would have remained unseeable. And at one point, verse 12, John says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Do you begin to get an idea of the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus? Now, I've met people before who are famous and who are notable, just occasionally, not a lot, but it's happened a few times. I remember one particular preacher that I was... Uh, Blessed to hear one time. I'd heard about him. I'd read about him. And he got up to speak. And I thought, I was expecting somebody to be seven feet tall, lightning bolts coming out of his eyes, you know. And this man got up, and he was about my height. And he talked with a much thicker southern accent than I have. And uh, cleared his throat three or four times. And I thought, man, there must be two of these guys. And I've come to hear the wrong one. But he read the scriptures and he began to preach. And five minutes into the message, I realized I was absolutely captivated. I was just caught up in the spirit listening to him. And I realized it was the power of the spirit in him. It wasn't his 
He didn't have charisma. He didn't have some dynamic personality that caused all of this. It was just simply the Word of God flowing through him. And I realized that's what we need. We don't need more charismatic characters on the scene. We need to experience the glory of God as is revealed through weak, frail vessels. But the glory of God ultimately is the Lord Jesus Christ. And John experiences that as he describes, again, with the limited language that he had to work with, what he was actually seeing. That the one who has all wisdom and all knowledge, therefore his hair being like wool or being white, his eyes like flames of fire because he sees through all things. That more than just a piercing gaze, he knows all things. He looks upon us and he knows our hearts as he has all knowledge. His feet like burnished bronze because he treads the course of all history uncontaminated by a sinful world. His right hand holding seven stars, again, all power and that sharp two-edged sword proceeding from his mouth. How is it that we find ourselves oftentimes absolutely at a loss to explain how God's word opens us up and reveals the things that are there? As again, just recently, I heard the testimony of a, of a singer, an entertainer, who had experienced a great deal of success in his trade and occupation. But on a concert tour, he was experiencing a lot of upheaval in his family, and he was trying to understand what was going on in his life. And so late at night, in those late hours, he turned on a lamp beside his bed, and he reached in a drawer beside the bed for what he knew would be there, a Gideon Bible. And he got it out and he opened it up. And just again, as he read passages of scripture that were familiar to him from childhood, suddenly that word penetrated his heart in a way that it hadn't before. And there in brokenness, he yielded his life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And the Lord Jesus is that ultimate revelation of God, that glory of God, that revealed radiance of God, not not a reflection of God's glory, but God's glory emanating from him. There is a translation issue here that some have fallen into like a pit, that this is not a reflection of the glory of God, like the moon reflecting the sunlight. No light emanates from the moon. The sun is the source of light, and light reflects off the moon. That's how we're able to see it, but that's not... The relationship of the Son to the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ to the Father. Jesus emanates light, emanates the glory, like the light itself which comes from the Son. Not a reflection, but the glory itself. That's why Jesus said, I am the light of the world. We see elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, for example, a contrast, the God of this world, little g, note that, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We might wonder, how is it that others don't see this glory, this light, this obvious thing that we all rally around? It's because they're blinded, they're kept from it by the prince of darkness. So you have the light of the world that is the Lord Jesus, the glory of God on full display. You have the prince of darkness acting 
in contradiction to that. But the glory of God is real. And we see that most perfectly in Jesus. And thus, we sing to him. Not only is he that glory of God, he of course is the exact image of God. Now there's a distinction in there. On the one hand, Jesus is God, but in describing him as being the exact image or imprint of God, there is a distinction to be made. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one of the same substance. And yet they are three distinct persons. It boggles our minds. People always trying to explain the Trinity and analogies that break down at some point. You know, you just can't do it. People say, well, it's like an egg, you know, made up of three things, the shell and the the egg white or albumin and the yolk. But that's not true because those things are not of the same substance. Not even like water. Some say, well, it exists as a, you know, a liquid and a solid as well as a gas. Water and steam and ice and so forth, but it doesn't exist in that way at the same time. Not all three things at the same time. So you see how these simple analogies we come up with, they, they, break, they break down. And in fact, if you hold to them in some logical manner, you'll wind up in heresy. So be careful. On the other hand, the world as we know it obviously has impressed upon it God's fingerprints, if you will. What is everything made up of? Three things. Space, time, and matter. Three things. No more. What are each of those things made up of? Space, height, width, and depth. Now, I'm not going to get into science fiction and start talking about the fourth and fifth dimensions. I don't know anything about those. I just know the three that we live in. Height, width, and depth. Isn't it interesting? Those three. No more. Time. You know this one. Past, present, and future. Three things. Curious, isn't it? Matter. Energy. In motion. Producing phenomena. Three things. Now, I'm looking at Dan Nelson out here, and I'm suddenly really nervous. So if I've said anything that's wrong, he'll correct you. So, Jesus Christ is this perfect representation of God for us, the exact image of God. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know what he's like, then we turn to Jesus. Now, I'm spending time on this because it's important. Again, we typically don't do the, the really over, super practical kinds of sermons that are popular today. You know, the three things you'll practice to be the effective person at work that you want to be, or the seven things you put into practice when you want to be the perfect husband or wife. I believe God has called me to proclaim to you the Lord Jesus Christ. And inasmuch as we come to understand more and more who Jesus is, and as we are conformed to his image, all of these other things will be worked out in our lives, because after all, it is Christ in us. It is the power of Christ in us that transforms us and makes us into the people that he wants us to be. So that as we come to a full understanding of Jesus and as the word is applied to our hearts, increasingly we'll be that loving husband, wife, son, daughter, father, mother, friend, neighbor. Notice also in verse 3 
that Jesus holds everything together by the word of his power. Again, no mere teacher or philosopher or theologian has this authority. I don't care how brilliant they are. I don't care how many books they've written. Jesus holds everything together. Through him, everything has been created, but he sustains it all as well. Think of Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I'll tell you right now, he's what's keeping me from falling apart. He literally, physically holds us together. And Paul, in Acts chapter 17, quotes one of the Greek poets who, by common grace, had an understanding of God that he couldn't have had otherwise. In him we live and move and have our being. Something to consider as we think about who we are and whose we are. That Jesus is all of that and so much more. But then as we turn the corner quickly and come to this last part of the verse, which is so profoundly helpful for us in our understanding of life and salvation, that inasmuch as the word of his power is the means by which all things are held together. You just think about that. You know, when you're reading from the Bible, you're not just reading inspirational thoughts. There is power in the word. Real power, as it is by that power that all things consist. It's that word revealed to us that enables us to see what otherwise would be unseen. Think about the images that are coming back now from space, from the, from the space telescopes that have been deployed out there, where they you know, don't have to deal with the obscurity of the Earth's atmosphere and environment. We couldn't see the things that... Those telescopes are sending back to us. We couldn't see microscopic organisms unless we had the instruments that allow us to peer down into the depths to behold them. We could not know God or the things of God unless we had this instrument of the word that enables us to see beyond and into what otherwise would be veiled from our eyes. And Jesus is that perfect revelation of God. And he is the one, remember this, he is the one who, after making purification for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He completed his atoning work and is enthroned in heaven's highest seat of honor. Purification of sins, the taking away of our sins, that which would separate us from God forever. That word which people don't want to talk about today, as we've mentioned before, but which is... Something we deal with every day. Don't take my grandson away. I love those sounds. Reminds me of me when I'm praying. You know, you can think that we're all profound and we're sounding glorious, but it really sounds something like that, I think, to the Father. And I think of how much I delight in those sounds. And how much our Father delights in us. Because when he looks upon us, he sees his son. That perfect life interposed for hours on Calvary's cross by whose blood we are cleansed and washed. And what is impure 
is purified. I was hiking on the Palmer Creek Trail one day, right above Fallen Rock Branch. It's right where Lost Bottom Creek runs into Palmer Creek. I just want you to know where it is, so if you ever want to visit there, you can. I was coming back down the trail, and there was an old boy there who had his backpacking equipment on. I just had my wooden walking stick and a sack thrown over, and I was bebopping down the trail. And This guy was there, and he had gotten some water out of a branch that was right there beside the trail, up a watering hole that I could tell readily as I glanced at it where wild hogs had been. I just know from the color and other means. It's just no mistaking it. And he had that water in this clear container, and he had one of these little ultraviolet little lights, this purple-looking thing, and he was swirling it around in that water. And it was just moving the particles around as he was sterilizing this uh, drinking water. I said, hey, just want to let you know, if, if you'll go right up this creek about 20 feet and on the right, right below a good-sized rock, I said, there's a fresh spring flowing out from under that rock right there that the hogs don't get into because it's too high up on the bank. No, thank you. I'm fine. Swirling that thing around, I thought, buddy, you can drink all that you want to. I'm not touching it. When the Lord Jesus shed his blood for us on Calvary's cross, he doesn't just move things around and rearrange our iniquity to make it look better. He takes it away. He takes the impurity away. And he washes us and he makes us pure. Now, I can't say anything more today to get you excited than that. But Jesus has done that for us. He has made purification for our sins. And you know why we know the work is done? Because he is exalted at the right hand of God and he is seated there. Now you go back to the Old Testament and you study the temple, the tabernacle. And you study all the furnishings that are in there until you can memorize them and you know where each of them is. Whether it's the table of the showbread or whether it's the Ark of the Covenant itself that is in the Holy of Holies. Just make a study of all of those things and I want you to come away from that study and email me or call me and tell me where the chair is. There's no chair in there. Because the work of the priest was never done. They would get through with one batch of sacrifices and guess what? More had to be offered. They would cut the throats of those lambs and more blood had to be given. The work was never done. Until our high priest comes. And when he dies upon that altar, sacrificing himself for our sakes. Let me tell you something. There is no more sacrifice for sin left. He performs that work. He goes to the grave. He is raised gloriously. And Forty days later, he ascends and is seated because it is done. That's why I have the quote for a meditation from Dr. D. James Kennedy or Bulletin. Christianity is not due. It's done. When Jesus said it is finished, he literally said to telestai. That's a Greek word which was used in 
in commerce, which means the debt is paid, just like something that would be stamped on your bill. Once everything is paid, to die. Paid, finished, completed. And so to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? The work completed, Jesus is seated because he reigns from heaven, he reigns in our hearts, and he's coming back. Now I've only scratched the surface here as we consider this glorious truth that is the exaltation and enthronement of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to know that's why there are more than 10,000 reasons to sing his praise. That's why in 10,000 years we will have only begun to sing his praise. That's why we can never exhaust the glorious truth that God has revealed as we offer it to him in worship. Because the riches of his grace revealed in Christ Jesus are beyond all comprehension and measure. You think this universe is immeasurable? You think it's incomprehensible when we talk about the number of light years that it would take to get from one star to the other or from one expanse to the other? You have only to consider the glory of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. And that's why heaven will not be boring, my friends. Because we will be in awe every day. Inasmuch as the more that we see him and know him, the more captivated our hearts will be and the more occupied our minds will be with praise and thanksgiving and worship. To the glory of God our Savior through Christ Jesus, may he have all glory, praise, and honor, both now and forevermore. Amen. Father in heaven, we bless your name and give you praise and ask that our lives may be transformed by this truth that I have attempted to proclaim today, asking that you will work through my stammering words and penetrate our hearts, that Christ himself may dwell within us through the person of the Holy Spirit. For we together praise the name of Jesus, your beloved Son, our Savior, in whose presence we dwell and long to dwell. Change us. Make us more like him. We pray in his name. Amen. Hallelujah. Sing to Jesus.
Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up unto you his countenance and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together, Amen.